Hello again. We're thankful to get to be back for another Bible study, another opportunity to look into the Word of God. And certainly we're thankful for the study thus far on the face of the Old Testament. Last time we finished that first group of four. And uh, remember, I'm not studying all of the feasts, but the seven major feasts of the Old Testament. And that first group of four, the Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, all four tied together um, at, by days and in the manner. And we saw how all of those coincide with Christ from his entry to Jerusalem, his death, his resurrection, as well as the advent of the Holy Ghost of God. All of those types and shadows in these feasts coincide perfectly with the times and the days of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is there spiritual types and shadows, not only was God prophesying of the suffering and the victory that Christ was going to win, but he also told us the exact dates and even down to the exact times that Christ's work was going to be accomplished some 1,500 years beforehand. So any question, any doubt as to whether this was the plan of God or not, I feel like that that study answers that. This was God's plan from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world, really, that Christ would suffer and be offered on the cross for our salvation, be resurrected, and the Holy Ghost come unto man and the preaching of the gospel to begin. All the plan of God and all foreshadowed in these feasts. And no doubt in the first four, so much that we missed, that we overlooked, um, that we did not see. We're just really skimming the surface. And I feel like I'm blessed to be able to just skim the surface of the Word of God. But we hope that Maybe the Lord showed you something out of it. Maybe even something that we didn't mention that you had never seen before and you can draw strength from that. But today we'd like to start looking at this second group. So we've covered four. We have three feasts left that we'd like to cover. And this second group, they're again tied together, similar like the first four were. And they are the Feast of the Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All of these take place in the seventh month of the year uh, or at the end of the agricultural season. And uh, again, great types and shadows and pictures of the work that Christ is going to accomplish in the future again. So, uh, We'll begin with the Feast of the Trumpets, which takes place on the first day of the seventh month. We'll read a few verses in Numbers 29, verse 1 through 6, and you can see this feast also in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. So there, we'll read in Leviticus first, chapter 23, verse 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, 
and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 29, starting in verse 1, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And ye shall offer a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, one young bullock, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering shall be of flour, mingled with oil, three-tenth deals for a bullock, and two-tenth deals for a ram, and one-tenth deal for a lamb, throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, to make atonement for you, beside the burnt offering of the month, and his meat offering, and the daily burnt offering, and his meat offering, and their drink offerings, according unto the manner, for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So this was a one-day uh, feast, uh, a one-day memorial, as he calls it in Leviticus 23. And this is around the end of the agricultural season. And I believe you could see, uh, and I think uh, a widely taken interpretation for this, and one that I don't necessarily agree with, although you can see that. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20, you find that uh, very well-known scripture that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. So here, at the end of the agricultural season, the trumpet is blown, and the wide interpretation of that is at the end of the world. And we can see in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17, you see that at the end of the world, the trump of God is going to sound. And really, the crowd that would say that the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the sense that nobody knows what's going on and the church is going to be stolen away, that doesn't jive with what the Bible says, especially 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll read verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now this don't sound like Christ is sneaking in and stealing the church. This sounds like an announced visit. And the trumpet, even today in the orchestra, the trumpet has a sound that is distinct and above and louder than any other instrument that there is. So here God's coming and announces His coming. And the end of time has come. Now certainly, uh, you can see the tie-in with the Feast of Trumpets and here. But I believe uh, another interpretation is more fitting. So what we have here in Leviticus, and I think one word, very important, when he's speaking about it, he says, ye shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing 
of trumpets. So a memorial, and when you think about the blowing of trumpets at this time in Israel's history, as God's given this, what could they look back to in memory of as it regards to the blowing of trumpets? And I believe, uh, I, I don't know how you would think, but thinking back from this point back in their history, we could see in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. So here the Lord is about to descend on Sinai, and the giving of the law is going to be given to Moses. But God descends down on the mount when the sounding of the trumpet is long. So I think when he says in Leviticus, now here this is Moses still writing this, that you're going to blow the trumpets in memorial, I believe what they're remembering is the blowing of the trumpet of the day that the Lord came down on the mountain. And what a memorial that that was. What a day that it was that God descended upon Mount Sinai and His glory was present and all of the people feared and feared for their lives. They feared the voice of God. They feared the trumpet of God. They feared the righteousness of God and they said, Moses, we don't want Him to speak to us anymore like this. Well, God set up a feast yearly, the first day of the seventh month, that the trumpets was going to be blown, that they might remember this righteous and holy God coming down upon the mountain. And there, on that mountain, at that time, the Lord was giving the law unto Moses and unto Israel. So this is a memorial of God's presence coming down and the law being given unto them. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and maybe this may feel like we're, uh, we're going the wrong way here, but it'll all tie together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Again in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also... He made the worlds. Again, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And again in First Peter chapter number 1, verse 20. 
we read, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In 1 John chapter number 2, verse 18, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So over and over and over again, in the New Testament, the days referred to after the work of Christ is completed is the last days. We're in the ends of the world, in Corinthians is how that he says it, and in Hebrews, Peter, and in John, remember books written by Paul, by Peter, and by the Apostle John, three of the most respected, I would think, apostles that there were in that day, they all refer to the days that they were living in, in 50, 60, 70, 80 AD, as the last days. So certainly, surely, we are still in the last days today. So this harvest is past, the summer is ended, the time for man to be saved, we're in those last days today. There's no time to tarry, there's no time to relax, but now is the time for man to be saved. So we can look at that again in Joel and most of you will know where we're going here. But in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Now this is Old Testament. This is the prophet Joel looking forward. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So here we have a prophecy of that which is yet to come in Christ Jesus. And we could read on to the end of that chapter. But in Acts, now that's not something that today we are still waiting on to happen. But the Bible in the New Testament tells us that this has already been fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So we skip on down here to verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Joel was looking forward to the days that were coming when the Holy Ghost would be poured out in the last days. And here, Peter says that it has come to pass in the last days. Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the advent of the Holy Ghost. What they were seeing on the day of Pentecost there was the literal fulfillment of the prophecy that Joel made in his day. So without question, we stand in the last days today. And Christ says in John 4.35, um, Say not, there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already 
to harvest. So you talk about the end of the agricultural season being the time that this Feast of Trumpets would take place. Well, we are today in the last days of this world. And they were ushered in now, not by something happening in Jerusalem, not by something happening to the nation or the country of Israel, but the last days were ushered in sometime between Joel's prophecy and Peter's message there at the day of Pentecost. Somewhere between those two days... The last days came in. The answer is Jesus. Peter says as much in the next couple verses of Acts chapter 2. So the age of the gospel is the last days. So the feast, their memorial feast here, looking back at the law of God, as well as, remember in Exodus 24, Moses has received the law, come down from the mount, and told the people the words of the Lord. This is Exodus 24, verse 3. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. So this day of remembrance was of God's presence on Sinai, the giving of the law unto Moses and to Israel, and their promise or their covenant, to keep it. But we know this, that they couldn't keep it, and they had not kept it, and therefore they were in need of atonement. So the trumpets is a reminder of the covenant that they made with God to keep the law, and a reminder that they could not and had not kept the law. So remembering this, that The first day of the seventh month was the trumpets. The tenth day of the seventh month, so only nine days after the blowing of the trumpet, was the day of atonement. So the trumpet gave a revelation, a reminder, a memorial unto Israel how that they had failed to keep the law that God gave to Moses on Sinai and that they were in need of atonement from the wrath of God for their failure to do what they said that they were going to do. So these trumpets, this reminder that they have failed the covenant of God is the same as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the, the trumpets... They preceded the atonement. It was not just an announcement of guilt, and there's no way to escape it, but the trumpets were followed by the day of atonement, which we'll look at uh, maybe next time. We'll start looking there. But the trumpets, and I believe we've got types and shadows all through the Bible, to the gospel. And what does the gospel do? It reveals to me that I have broken the law and am a transgressor and am a sinner. And it points me to the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, the trumpets were blown as a reminder of the covenant that Israel made with God at Sinai and that they had failed to keep it. And in that memorial, they could look to this day of atonement nine days down the road, that their sins and their failure to do the will of God could be atoned for. In Isaiah 58, 
we have, I believe, the best uh, tie-in here. Cry loud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and shew my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So God says, Isaiah, and really to the men of God spreading the gospel, lift up your voice like a trumpet, cry aloud, spare not, reveal unto man that they have transgressed the commandment of God. Because now if there's no transgression, then there's no need for atonement. If they've kept the covenant that God gave them on Sinai, then they don't need an atoning sacrifice or a day of atonement. But the trumpet reminded them, and they realized that they had failed to keep their covenant with God. Well, the gospel is there to call to remembrance how that we've failed the commandment of God not to beat us down or to grind us to powder, but that we might look unto God's atoning sacrifice of the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 3, thinking again now about the gospel and the work of the gospel, in Matthew Chapter 3, verse 1. In these days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist is preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If we look on in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repentance is the central theme of both of their verses. Why does man need to repent? Why are they preaching repentance? It's it's because man has failed to do the will of God and he needs to repent and turn from all that he's been doing. There is a revelation here that they have broken the commandment of God, that they are guilty and action needs to be taken to correct what's wrong in their life. There's a pointing to sin. Now man today holds the gospel that all you need to tell about is love and don't preach on sin and don't preach on the law. But friends, that's the purpose of the trumpet to call to remembrance the breaking of the commandment that man would look to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Acts chapter 2 and again, we're not looking at a comprehensive list we're just picking out a few places where we've got examples of the gospel being preached. In Acts 2, verse 37, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So why was it that these people were pricked in their heart and they said, What shall we do? Well, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost had pricked their heart because it had revealed their guilt unto God. And through that guilt, 
through that realization of their sin, they were led to look for a remedy to their breaking of the commandment of God, to their sin and transgression. And what does Peter do? He points them to Jesus, repentance for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the gospel first calls to remembrance the sin of man and then points them to the remedy for the sin that they've committed. So Peter preaches, they're pricked in their heart and convinced of sin in their life and they're guilty and their heart is troubling them. The Holy Ghost has granted them hearing and they've realized their guilt before God and they say, what can we do for the sin and for our breaking of the commandment? Well, repent in the name of Jesus Christ and through His atoning sacrifice and receive the remission, the forgiveness, the removal of sins. So the gospel calls to remembrance and points to the sacrifice. Again, in chapter 3 of Acts, verse 19, this is Peter in the temple preaching, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So he has preached, he has called to mind their sin and their breaking of the commandment, and it never ends there. But then he points them to repentance and the remedy that God provided for the sin of mankind. They are now, and, and you see before, without a remembrance of sin, there's no anticipation for atonement. But when sin is realized in the heart, And as Paul says in the book of Romans, when sin becomes exceeding sinful, when man realizes just what a transgressor he is before God, then man is excited to hear and anxious to hear of the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Acts chapter 4, here's Peter before the priests preaching again, and in 12, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. So Peter, standing before the priests and the rulers of the Jews, he's announcing repentance because only through Jesus Christ is there salvation. Why is it that they must look to Christ? It's because they've broken the very commandments of God and they're guilty and stained with sin. They've got no hope because they're transgressors and the gospel has called that to their remembrance that they could see that they're guilty before God. And the only place that that leaves man is to look for a remedy to the problem that they have. Now, again, in chapter 7, we're not looking at Peter here, but here is Stephen preaching. And what a message that this man preaches to the Jews that are trying to kill him, and they do kill him. But in verse 51, now he has went over all of the actions of Israel plumb back to Moses and the coming out of Egypt, and how that they had continually sinned, And now in verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, 
so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. What caused the hatred and the bitterness and the desire to see a man die in the hearts of these Jews? What brought that to pass? It was the gospel and the word of God that called to remembrance the sin and transgression that they had committed in their life. Now, we've said before in study and in preaching and in Sunday school uh, that it's not the message of salvation in Jesus Christ that the world has a problem with. No, the, the story of Christ dying for me and dying that I could be saved, dying that I could have life, that's a wonderful story. To the world, but where the problem comes in is that I've got to realize that I'm a sinner. And here the Jews, they weren't satisfied with a preaching because it found them to be transgressors of the law of God. And if there's one thing that man despises, it's that the gospel calls him to a place of repentance. That's what Peter's preaching did. That's what Stephen's preaching did. It's what John the Baptist's preaching did. It's what the Lord Jesus' preaching did. It's what Isaiah's preaching did. And all through the Word of God, those men that were proclaiming, whether it's the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles preaching the Word of God, it's all calling man to repentance in Jesus Christ because man has transgressed the commandment of God. One more place in Acts chapter 17. And I realize maybe this is repetitive, but it's good to see it in different places from different men. Here's Paul preaching his uh, one of his famous messages at Mars Hill. And in verse 30, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So how does Paul conclude his message at Mars Hill? He tells them of the judgment of God, that God's no longer winking at sin, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? because they transgress the commandment of God, because man is guilty, he must needs repent and come to the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, without which he's going to be found guilty in the judgment. So all of these tales today that you don't need to preach the law, that you don't need to preach sin, that Jesus is love, 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 that's not the way that the uh, preachers in the Word of God, that's not the message that they preached. They preached the law and the guilt of sin and then pointed to the love of God. So in the Old Testament, the Feast of the Trumpets, it always preceded. It came before the Day of Atonement. Because if there's no remembrance of sin 
If there's no memorial of my guilt before God, I do not need atonement. And for anybody that God has saved and drew out of the kingdom of darkness and set in the kingdom of His Son, I believe you see that in your own self, that God first brought you to a place of guilt before Him before He ever revealed the atonement. Man had to be guilty. And that guilt brought him to a place that he would look for atonement. This blowing of the trumpet in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, that was a reminder that God had came down and spoken with Moses, given the law to him, and that they had promised, all that you've said we will do. They did not do all that God said. That was called to remembrance by the blowing of the trumpet and they began to look forward from that day unto the day of atonement that was just nine days later. So the feast of the trumpets preceded atonement. The preaching of the gospel bringing man to the revelation of sin precedes the atonement of the Son of God. And it's it's necessary. In Romans chapter 10, the often misinterpreted scripture, misused scripture, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You know what precedes calling on God for salvation? Believing. You know what precedes believing? Hearing the preaching of the gospel from a man that is sent by the hand of God. It's necessary. The trumpets always preceded the day of atonement. The gospel always precedes salvation. And you can take that straight out of the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Without the hearing of the gospel through a preacher of the gospel, there will no flesh be saved. That's not for me to argue with you. That's what God put in his book. We have it in types and shadows in the Old Testament. We have the fulfillment of it in the New in the last days, the trumpet sounds and man is drew to the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope the word of God has been a help to you. Thank God for the trumpets that revealed our sin and that pointed us to the sanctifying and saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Hope you have a wonderful week in the Lord and do pray for us.